Security threats are everywhere. But with Xfinity XFi, you're notified of threats to your in-home Wi-Fi network, so all your connected devices are protected. That's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit today. Restrictions apply. If you're a politics junkie, you need to be listening to the Election Ride Home podcast. Every day at 5 p.m., former This American Life contributor Chris Higgins reports from the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction and what do the polls say? Search your podcast app now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast. Stories and content in weird darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. On September 6th, 1833, LeBlanc climbed up the gallows. At the time, Morristown only had a population of roughly 2,500. Yet, somewhere between 10 and 12,000 people showed up to watch the public hanging. People even brought packed lunches for the event. The more curious, or perhaps morbid, people scaled trees and rooftops to get a better look. LeBlanc was subjected to a newer version of hanging. Instead of the floor dropping out from beneath him, he was projected eight feet into the air. Reportedly, LeBlanc twitched for around two minutes before he stopped moving. But the story doesn't end there. No, it's just beginning. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos! I'm Darren Marlar, and this is a special archive episode of Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale for me to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com. And be sure to subscribe if you've not done so already so you don't miss a single episode. And if you already consider yourself an official Weirdo, Please help me get the word out by sharing a link to this episode in your social media, and thanks in advance for doing so. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the Weird Darkness. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by the paranormal audiobook Your Haunted Lives – True Tales of the Paranormal by G. Michael Vasey a collection of creepy, often downright chilling, true experiences of the paranormal submitted by visitors to the My Haunted Life 2 website. The tales have been carefully selected and edited and range from apparitions to hauntings to demons through to the downright bizarre. This terrific collection of true stories of the paranormal will keep you looking over your shoulder. Your Haunted Lives – True Tales of the Paranormal Written by G. Michael Vasey. Narrated by Weird Darkness host Darren Marlar. Hear a free sample by clicking the link in the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com. Following his family's disownment of him and realizing that he had few prospects, Antoine LeBlanc immigrated from France to the United States in April of 1833. Instead of shopping around for work in Europe, 
This was pre-internet, unfortunately. LeBlanc decided to get a fresh start in a new country. He began by seeking his fortune in the land of promises. Through a German vessel, LeBlanc arrived in New York. He quickly found work in Morristown, New Jersey after a mere three days of searching, and he started working on Samuel Sayers' family farm as a hired hand. As was all too common at the time, his labor did not earn him wages. He was compensated with room and board in the Sayers house's basement. The Sayers, Samuel and Sarah, both handed LeBlanc orders. So did their servant, Phoebe, who was probably a slave and served to further bruise LeBlanc's ego. LeBlanc was accustomed to a more relaxed lifestyle, maybe not the kind where he lived in the Palace of Versailles, but certainly one where he was not expected to chop wood and feed livestock per the orders of a servant. So you're probably wondering, why on earth am I talking about this? And how is it so simultaneously depressing and boring? He sounds like every other immigrant story, and he either eventually lived a normal life, died at a young age, or lived as a pauper before he discovered oil or started a new business. Here's the thing. Instead of doing the normal thing any person would have done, like looking for other work before quitting, it's not like the guy needed references in 1833, LeBlanc plotted revenge. And he couldn't even do that normally. He could have stolen silverware or burned down a stable, but he decided that murder was the easier choice. LeBlanc suffered through two hard weeks before he finally snapped. On May 11th, LeBlanc returned to the farm after spending his evening drinking at a tavern. He feigned panic and he lured Samuel Sayre to the stable under the guise of there being a problem with the horses. When Samuel Sayre reached the barn, LeBlanc bashed his head in with a shovel. Samuel Sayre's head erupted with brain matter, with some of it dripping down LeBlanc's coat. Using the same technique of troubled horses, LeBlanc tricked Sarah Sayre down into the barn. He also smashed Sarah Sayre's head in with a shovel, but likely delivered the killing blow with a kick, taking advantage of the full force behind his heavy boots. Satisfied with his handiwork, LeBlanc dragged the bodies and hid them under a manure pile. He then sauntered back to the main house. He discovered that Phoebe was sleeping in her bedroom. LeBlanc took the twisted opportunity and beat her head in with either an axe or a club. Giddy, LeBlanc grabbed a couple of pillowcases and proceeded to stuff them with whatever prized possessions and cash he could find, and more importantly, carry. Once he had his fill, he stole one of the Sayre's horses and left the scene. Given that he had just murdered three people and the corrupted adrenaline probably splintered his attention span, LeBlanc did not notice that some of his stolen items had fallen out of a pillowcase. They not only roused suspicion, but they helped to distinguish his path. The morning after the murders, Lewis Halsey, a family friend of the Sayers, noticed items in the road that carried Samuel Sayers' monogram. Fear swallowed him, and he convinced a group of townspeople to help him investigate. Once the three bodies were discovered, Sheriff George Ludlow began to pursue the murder. 
LeBlanc had decided to relax at the Mosquito Tavern in Hackensack Meadows. He was drinking cider and, just like all dumb criminals, had his bag of loot sitting right next to him. Ludlow found him here. While he probably should have just played it cool, LeBlanc shot out of the tavern's back door the moment he noticed Ludlow. Ludlow caught up with him and arrested him on the spot. LeBlanc was dragged back to Morristown where he was prosecuted. In his jail cell confession, LeBlanc admitted that he was at the tavern so he could rest on his way to New York and that he planned on sailing for Germany as soon as he could. His trial began in Morris County Courthouse, in courtroom number one, on August 13, 1833. Although LeBlanc was provided a fair trial, it was not enough for the grisly nature of his crimes. The jury reached their decision in 20 minutes, and they found LeBlanc guilty of murdering Samuel and Sarah Sayer. Unfortunately, as a slave, his third victim, Phoebe, was not considered important enough for LeBlanc to be charged with her murder. After LeBlanc toiled in his jail cell for the night, Judge Gabriel Ford delivered his sentence the following morning. He announced that LeBlanc was to be hanged. Incidentally, LeBlanc was the last person to be publicly hanged in New Jersey, and once he was dead, his body would be given to Dr. Isaac Canfield for the means of dissection. On September 6, 1833, LeBlanc climbed up the gallows. At the time, Morristown only had a population of roughly 2,500 people, yet somewhere between 10 and 12,000 people showed up to watch the public hanging. People even brought packed lunches for the event. The more curious or perhaps morbid people scaled trees and rooftops to get a better look. LeBlanc was subjected to a newer version of hanging, Instead of the floor dropping out from beneath him, he was projected eight feet into the air. Reportedly, LeBlanc twitched for around two minutes before he stopped moving. But the story doesn't end there. No, it's just beginning. LeBlanc's body was promptly cut down and taken to Dr. Canfield's nearby office. While Judge Ford said that Dr. Canfield was going to conduct an autopsy, that wasn't exactly what happened. Dr. Canfield and Dr. Joseph Henry decided to use LeBlanc's body as their own personal subject for tests that were too inhumane for living subjects and too disrespectful for the corpses of average citizens. One of their tests included linking LeBlanc's body to a power source after working to expose his nerves in an effort to test the theory that they could jolt a person back to life with electricity. While the test was largely a failure, they recorded that they managed to get LeBlanc's eyes to roll in the back of his head, make his limbs tense tightly, and force what looked like a ghost of a smile on his face. Once both doctors were finished using LeBlanc, his face was cast in plaster for the sole purpose of creating a death mask. Following that, LeBlanc's body was literally skinned. His skin was sent to the Atno Tannery on Washington Street. And here's what might be the creepiest part. The tannery crafted LeBlanc's skin into leather goods, wallets, purses, lampshades, and book jackets, 
all of which people actually purchased and used. Additionally, thin strips of LeBlanc's skin were peddled on the street. They carried Sheriff Ludlow's signature as a mark of authenticity. The items were popular, and it is reported that many of them still lie in homes across Morristown even today. For a while, this entire episode, which feels like it was pulled from an over-the-top no-sleep thread, was more or less swept under the rug by Morristown's citizens. However, this forced ignorance did not last forever. Stories were spun about LeBlanc, and to invoke the late and great Mark Twain, the reports of his death were greatly exaggerated. One of the more famous stories concerned the final resting place of LeBlanc's skeleton. A popular rumor stated that Dr. Canfield hung LeBlanc's skeleton in his office. This was disproven in 1893, however. During the construction of an addition to the county clerk's office, a group of construction workers found themselves deep within the older building. They discovered a small wooden box that contained LeBlanc's bones. Fast forward to 1995, Halloween night. Dawson's auctioneers and appraisers of Morris Plains were working to liquidate the late Carl Scherzer's estate. While they were going through items in the basement, someone stumbled upon a fateful box. They opened it and they pulled out none other than LeBlanc's death mask. Not long after the death mask was discovered, another person was perusing the library upstairs. During their inspection for items, they found a shriveled change purse that appeared to be made of human skin. It was. Scherzer had spent his life working as a surveyor and his free time as something of an unofficial historian for Morristown. Throughout his life, he had collected quite a number of items from the century prior. Scherzer passed away in 1979, leaving the task of settling his estate and his apparent collection of LeBlanc memorabilia to his son, Douglas Scherzer, who eventually called Dawson's for help. The discovered items were placed in a display case at Dawson's for a time, but were never up for auction, despite the enormous crowd they drew during the November 18th auction. Even in death, or perhaps especially in death, LeBlanc really has a thing for getting people's attention. After their run at Dawson's, they were returned to Douglas Scherzer. Reportedly, the death mask is still in relatively good condition, although unnerving once you realize that LeBlanc's ears were cut off to make it, and it's tagged with the following information. Antoine LeBlanc, a Frenchman, murdered Judge Sayre and family, hanged in Morristown, New Jersey, 1833. The wallet, on the other hand, has not fared as well. According to Weird New Jersey, who were able to view the items after receiving a special invitation, the wallet has turned sickly greenish-brown. The texture is unsettling, as it is unlike cow or pig leather or even lizard skin. It is much thinner and is cracked. According to Morristown Green, following the item's relatively brief stay with Douglas Scherzer, they were given to the North Jersey History and Genealogy Center a few years ago. The Sayre House was converted into a number of restaurants over the years, with names like the Wedgwood Inn and Society Hill. It was even called Phoebe's at one point, if you can believe it. 
servers reported several scares. This not only included the fact that Phoebe's bedroom could never be heated properly, but they would sometimes see her reflection in the mirror, feel cold hands press on their shoulders, and one person even described that they watched a bloody hand reach out from a painting. It was widely known that even after all of the candles and lights were snuffed out, the staff would always spot a candle or two still lit once they were outside. Perhaps the most terrifying moment was when the restaurant changed names and owners in 1991. On opening night, the punch bowl split apart in front of multiple witnesses. It has been theorized that the technical injustice Phoebe received, as LeBlanc was never actually charged with her murder, may have led to her unrest in the afterlife. Although naming a restaurant after a person who was murdered in that very same building is more than a little inappropriate. The Sayers and Phoebe are all buried in the Presbyterian Church's cemetery in Morristown, and their house is now a bank. LeBlanc's remains will never truly be uncovered, as so much of him is scattered throughout Morristown. Although skinning a person and distributing leather goods made from their skin would never be acceptable now, it does make you think about how different and darker things used to be. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by MyPillow. But rather than me telling you about it, how about I let one of our weirdo family members tell you about it? Kitty sent me a comment saying, My husband works out of state the majority of the time, and when he left, he wanted to take his my pillow with him. That's how much he loves his. Well, Kitty is trying out her own pillow right now as well, because she heard about them on Weird Darkness and was able to get two premium my pillows for one low price. And so can you. Go to mypillow.com and use the promo code WEIRD. That's mypillow.com, then use the promo code WEIRD, or call 800-945-7192. That's 800-945-7192, or mypillow.com. Either way, be sure to use the promo code WEIRD. Living in the Czech Republic, it's not difficult to collect ghost stories from the country, and I can tell you it is a country full of tales, myths, and legends. There are many ghost stories about Prague, of course. Whether these are true, half-truths for the tourist, or even just a myth, they can be very entertaining. Here is an example. A Turkish man is said to haunt Tinsky Devur Prague. The story behind his haunting is as follows. He became engaged to a pretty young Czech woman and then returned to his homeland to ask his parents' permission to marry her. As the Turk was gone for quite a long time, his fiance, hearing nothing of him, began to believe that he had died or that he had simply forgotten about her. When the Turk finally returned to Prague, he found that the young woman had just been married and was celebrating with her family. She disappeared that night, and her decapitated body was found later. The ghost of the Turk now offers passers-by a glimpse into the box that he holds haunting the courtyard. Visitors should be warned that the box 
contains the young woman's freshly severed head. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to see this strange document firsthand, as it was on display outside of Brno. In fact, what I saw was a copy of the original. Nonetheless, the effect was chilling. The Devil's Bible, or Codex Gigas, is 36 inches tall by 20 inches wide and about 9 inches thick. It contains a set of Christian texts, including the Bible. It's bound in leather with metal trim and weighs over 165 pounds. It's known for the amazing color illustration in its pages of the devil, and that is how it gained its name. Historians believe the text was created in the Benedictine monastery of Podlazice in the Czech Republic in the early 13th century. Now, as if the scale of the Bible wasn't enough, the Bible's creation legend is even more bizarre. A monk in the Middle Ages who, after breaking his monastic vows, was sentenced to the horribly cruel death of being walled up alive is said to have written it. Desperate to avoid his fate, the monk promised to write, in just a single night, a book that both glorified his church and also contained all human knowledge. His plan was accepted, but by midnight he was nowhere near completing the book. He decided he needed help, but instead of praying to God, he prayed to Lucifer, offering his soul in return for the finished book. The devil responded to the monk's prayer, accepting the offer. Within seconds, the huge book was completed, while the monk added the portrait of his mentor and savior in gratitude, although some say Lucifer himself painted the picture. Experts agree that one person wrote the entire book and estimated it would take more than five years to complete, at least without supernatural help anyway. There have regularly been reports of ghost planes in Derbyshire, England. The reports are concentrated to an area in the Peak District of northern Derbyshire. This area has been dubbed the UK's Bermuda Triangle. Why is the Peak District so strange? Are magnetic anomalies detected in the local rocks responsible? Peak District of Derbyshire is a ghost-like graveyard covered with many wartime planes such as the Wellington Bomber, B-29 Bomber, Dakota, and Lancaster. Except for the remains of wrecks of planes, many witnesses also claimed to sight aircraft flying towards them before it disappeared completely. People have identified the plane as a Douglas Dakota, once flown by the RAF. Based on documents dated to the 1990s, a Dakota did crash in the area some 90 years ago. Local military and airport officials said there were no air shows or historical plane flyovers in the area. There are very few of these planes left, and even fewer are operational, so their flights would be well known. The old Dakota and Hercules aircraft do occasionally fly down the valley through Darley Dale towards Matlock, 
but they can be heard and their sound is quite distinctive. One of the eyewitnesses recalling a sighting of a Rowley ghost plane spotted over Derbyshire said, My son and I were driving along the A6 towards Rowsley from Darley Dale. Suddenly, in front of us was an aircraft flying very low towards us, so low we thought it would crash into us, but then it banked sideways and disappeared. We could not identify the aircraft other than it was old because it happened so quickly and left us quite shocked. Apparently, the crashes of military aircraft have continued over the years on the dark peak, generally due to dramatic weather conditions, as experts say. Peak District is an isolated area of the High Moorlands. Many wrecks, untouched and often witnessed by hikers present in these remote places of Derbyshire, seem to confirm the sightings of a low-flying propeller-driven plane, which suddenly appears to be in difficulty before finally crashing into the moors. There have been at least 50 plane crashes in the area of the Dark Peak, and more than 300 people have lost their lives in these crashes. Many of the crashes remain unexplained. Unfortunately, an investigation into magnetic anomalies detected in the area did not help to shed light on the mystery of the Dark Peak. Naturally occurring magnetic rocks in the Dark Peak obviously can cause local deflections of compass direction, but no more than any other similar area. Air crashes cannot be related to these anomalies. On March 24, 1997, yet another sighting of a propeller-driven plane being witnessed flying low above the moors. The aircraft had difficulties to fly and suddenly disappeared, seemingly crashing on moors above Sheffield. A rescue operation involving 100 volunteers and police was launched, but failed to find any trace of a plane or crash. This is a story of the very strange goings-on with my 1992 Cadillac DeVille. A few months ago, I'd finally saved enough money to buy myself a car after going two years without one. It wasn't a lot of money, so I started my search on Craigslist. I would search Craigslist a few times a day, trying to find something in my price range. After about a week and a half, I came across a 1992 Cadillac DeVille that looked as if it just came off the production line, and the price on it blew my mind $500 or best offer. Now, me being a Cadillac lover, I wanted to call this person and say, Here's $500 cash, I don't care what's wrong with it, it's beautiful but my gut was telling me it had to be a scam. So I called the number listed and asked the man a few questions about the car. He told me the car was so cheap because it was an old funeral procession car, the car that leads the hearse in a funeral procession, and the funeral home had bought new cars for the duty and had no more use for it. Intrigued by that, I set up a viewing and test drive for the next morning. The next morning rolled around and I met the little old man who I had talked to the day before. The car was as beautiful as the picture on Craigslist, and it ran beautifully. I told the little old man I'd take it, and we completed the paperwork. I was still in disbelief that I had got such a good car for so cheap. 
A few weeks passed, and the car was still running great, but I started to notice odd things. For example, every morning when I got in my car, it smelled like a fresh-smoked cigarette. Being a smoker myself, I kindly shrugged it off, but then weirder things started happening. One night, I was looking out my living room window and noticed that the dome light in my car was on. Not wanting my battery to die, I went out and shut it off, thinking I'd left it on by mistake. I got back to my apartment and when I passed my living room window, I noticed the dome light was on again. So I went back down to turn it off. After doing so, I stood next to my car for a few minutes to make sure the light was really off. When I got back to my apartment, I looked out my window for a third time, only to find the dome light on yet again. Irritated, I went downstairs a third time and turned off the light. I waited 15 minutes and the light stayed off. Before I got back upstairs, I yelled, are you finally done for the night? It's getting old. And directly behind me, I heard a giggle. I spun around to see who was laughing at me, knowing how crazy I probably looked screaming at an empty car. I started thinking someone was screwing with me, but no one was around. A little creeped out, I went inside and looked out my window to see if the light was back on. It wasn't, so I went to bed. Odd things like this kept happening. One morning, I went down to my car only to find the stuff from my glove compartment all over my car and the car smelling like a fresh-smoked cigarette. It freaked me out. I went over all possibilities and ruled out a break-in, so I decided to pretend it didn't happen. Odd things kept happening over the next few weeks. One day, I was driving in silence when the radio started blasting a station I don't really listen to. It scared the crap out of me so I turned the radio off, but it quickly came back on. I freaked out and pulled over into a Kmart parking lot. I turned the radio and the car off and wandered around Kmart for an hour or so. When I returned, my car again smelled like a fresh-smoked cigarette. A few weeks passed, and nothing happened, so I figured maybe the weird things were over. Nope. One night I was sitting in my apartment with a friend, when she asked who was sitting in my car. I jumped up and ran to the window and, sure enough, there was a figure in the driver's seat. I grabbed a baseball bat and ran downstairs with my friend in tow. When we got outside, there was no one in the car. I checked, but the doors were still locked. My friend and I checked the parking lot, trying to find an explanation, but we came up with nothing. Fed up with all this, I called the funeral home the next day and spoke to the man who sold me the car. I asked him if anything horrible had happened with that particular car. He was a little taken back by the question, so I told him the strange things that had been happening. The man then said that the car was usually driven by the funeral home's best and most senior employee who had recently passed away. He proceeded to tell me how well this woman had taken care of the car, almost as if it were her own. I then asked if this woman had been a smoker. He said yes. I knew right then and there that she was behind the mysterious events.
Since then, strange little things have happened with the car, like the hazards coming on when the car was unmanned, the smell of cigarette smoke, things being scattered throughout the vehicle, the radio coming on, the locks freaking out, and me feeling soft touches, that kind of thing. So, all in all, I think this lady is just not ready to accept the fact that she's passed on and that I own the car now. Thanks for joining me for this archive episode of Weird Darkness. Do you have a dark tale to tell? You can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And if you like the show, please share a link to this episode on all of your social media, tell your friends about the show, and please leave a rating and review. I might read your review here in the podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Patrons get commercial-free versions of Weird Darkness and early access a month early to the Weird But True video series. Plus, patrons get exclusive content such as chapters of horror and paranormal books that I'm narrating into audiobooks as I record them. Learn more about becoming a patron at WeirdDarkness.com. Also on the site, you can get the free mobile app, follow me on social media, join the Weirdos online community, see where I'm going to be on location in the future, and on the page labeled Weird Web, you'll get stories I didn't use in the podcast, fan art, pictures that weirdos like you send in to me, a weekly zombie comic strip, that and a whole lot more at WeirdDarkness.com. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Again, thanks for joining me in this archive episode of Weird Darkness. Every day, Comcast Business is helping businesses big and small go beyond the expected to do the extraordinary. Because beyond a simple transaction, there is making a customer for life. Comcast Business. Beyond fast. Take your business beyond at ComcastBusiness.com.